and um, we, uh, we get into Abraham because there's so many rich passages, and he teaches us about faith, and sometimes we ask, well, his context and world is so different than our world, uh, is there any parallels? But when I look at your life or my life, they're very different as well, and if you were to move from Mobile to say the West Coast or say to, to Europe or to another part of the world, our lives are very different. And so we don't have to be in the same world as Abraham, we're not, to learn from him about what faith is. In many ways, the, the different episodes of Abraham's life are case studies for us to understand what does faith look like applied in a variety of situations, some which we'll never have, and yet we're to learn what it might look like for us to apply those in our unique situations and circumstances. And, even more than that, we learn from Abraham about something that doesn't change, and that is the nature and the character of God, for he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in each episode, we will find that out, something about the nature of God. I will say today is quite challenging, so uh, I look forward to reading it and to being in it together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into the text. Lord, we do pray for your blessing uh, on this evening. We do pray for both uh, the preacher uh, who is limited, infallible, who needs you, um, and yet you are infallible, and so is your word, and so we trust you, Lord. And we ask that you would use your word to bless us. You'd use your word to bring life and goodness to us. Lord, I pray and you'd not only bless me as the preacher, but bless the hearer, open our ears and our hearts. God, that we might receive what you have for us this evening. God, we pray you would go before us, that you would be honored and you'd be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're wrestling with faith. We wanted to know how, uh, what can we learn from Abram? And we've, we started in chapter 12 with this great call, and he moves out by faith, and then we saw he wasn't so faithful in the end of 12, and then he was faithful again, and then he wasn't so faithful. And so we're into chapter 14, and we're into this uh, Period, and we won't find Abram until verse 12 of these verses. So I'm going to read the first 12, talk a little bit, read a few more, talk a little bit, and we'll move to the passage. So here we go. Verse 1. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elzar, Keterlaerman, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Sinab, king of Admon, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea. Twelve years they had served Keterlaerman, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. But in the fourteenth year, Keterlaerman and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephim, and Ashtaroth Carnaim, the Zuzim, and Ham the Emim and Sheva Kirathium, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazan Tamar. Just having fun yet with this one? He goes on and mentions those same kings again. The end of verse 9. Four kings against five. Could have just said that, but did not. He listed them out. What happens in the ancient world is uh, 
kings, uh, kingdoms would align themselves with other kingdoms for sake of protection. So there was creating this idea of a suzerain or a leader and vassal a subject, and they would provide tribute to the, the bigger kings for protection. And so what you have is you have four kings of the east, the area kind of Babylon, Iran today, uh, and the five kings that are around the Dead Sea. And the five kings of the Dead Sea had been subject to the other kings. These were the big guys and these were the small guys. They had made some sort of alliance. As long as these guys gave them money every year or did something, taxes, something, these guys would protect them. And it says in a couple verses, uh, verse 12, they had served for uh, 12 years, but the 13th year they rebelled. They said, we're not paying taxes anymore. And so, the next verse says, in the 14th year, Keter Lairman, and that is how you say it. I listened to an app like 20 times to get that right. It can be spelled with a K and not a C-H. It's confusing. Um, he said, okay, you're not going to pay taxes. We're going to war. And he goes to war, and then the verses 6 and 7, he goes to war and basically cleans house on everybody in the area. It'd be like if uh, you know, an army from Montgomery came down to Mobile to fight our army, and on the way down, they take over everybody in their way. They take over, what's down, 65, Greenville, and Evergreen, and Atmore, and the Bruton, and Saraland, and Sats. They take over everybody, and that's what's happening. And then they come to the people that had rebelled, not verse 10. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitterman, bitterman pits, that's tar. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into them, and the rest of them fled to the hill country. So the enemy, that's the big guys, they took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot... And the son of Abram's brother who was, travel, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Who woke up this morning like, I can't wait to hear this passage. Like, this is so great. Besides me, of course, right? What does this have to do with anything in our world, right? A bunch of kings in power, a bunch of other people. Uh, these people are over these people. They go to war. The big guys dominate the, the small guys. And then, verse 12, Abram, uh, Lot gets taken away. What does this have to do with faith? First thing I want you to hear is this. This is the, uh, all the kings and all the names, um, uh, they're the who's who of the world. They're the, uh, they're the Time Magazine people of the year. This is Trump and Putin and Pope Francis and, I don't know, uh, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, these are like big name power people of the world. These are the people to know. And then there's this guy, Abram, we'll talk about. They're important. They're the players. The first thing I want you to see is the perspective of faith. They are only mentioned in the biblical account because of Abram. They're the big people, they're the power people, they're the influential people, and yet they're only significant in the history of the world and redemption because of their relation to one man, Abram. Abram gets involved in verse 12 because he cares about Lot, and Lot is in Sodom, gets taken away, and so Abram's about to get involved, and he's going to go to war 
for his people. Abram's not looking for fame or prestige. You know, when we go, you know, from us, Mobile, or maybe you're from small town, you know, you go to, uh, maybe you go to New York City, and uh, it's Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, and you see all the signs in the audience, you know, we're from Greenville, South Carolina, you know, we're from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, you know, we're, we're from Mobile, Alabama. We're trying to get on the stage, right? Sorry for the accent, I'm not sure where that comes from. We're from somewhere in Utah or Minnesota. I don't know. But we're trying to get on the stage. We want to be seen and known with the big players, the people of the earth, right? The power players, they're all together. They've all aligned so that we'll be stronger than them and they'll be stronger than us. Abraham's this guy has been given this promise. He's in the background. We think he's a nobody. And yet, in the light of history, he's actually center stage and the who's who are just the backdrop. They're just a sort of a side note. Keter Laerman, this dominant king who's defeated everyone and then everyone else is just a side note to the people of God. See, faith reorients us to see history in light of God and his work among his people. Chief example, Luke chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. Again, test my reading skills. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, this is the head of the Roman Empire, Pontius Pilate, he's the governor of Judea, the region. Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis. And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Those are different regions, different cities, different areas. They're the big power people. They're the rulers. They're the authorities of the world, the Roman Empire. Who's the religious leaders? Oh, yeah. During the high priest of Ananias and Caiaphas, comma, that's the setting for the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The Roman Empire, right? History, the world is just the backdrop to the main event that is God's work of redemption through his people throughout history. It's the perspective of faith. What does it mean for us? It means, well, we're not Abraham. Uh, We're certainly not Jesus. Um, But we're God's church. We're the bride of Christ. And so we we think we're sort of insignificant. We think we're sort of uh, on the sidelines. What's happening in L.A. or New York or Chicago? or That's where the players are. That's where Hollywood is. That's where the movie stars. That's where the sports stars. That's where all these people we want to see, and maybe some of us are after fame or after success or after money. We want to be on center stage. And God says, that's just the backdrop. The storyline of history is the redemption of his people throughout the ages. That's what's really important. Did you know that? Hebrews 11 tells us this hall of faith enlists these people that were insignificant in the world compared to the Roman Empire. And then he says, oh, that's just Tiberius Caesar. That's not a big deal. The word of the Lord came to John and his family about Jesus. It means our life matters. God gave promises to Abraham. God gave promises to G- through Jesus. God gives promises to his church that he will be with us. He will guide us. We're not only on uh, the right side of history, we're actually on center stage of history. Did you know that? Did you know that? Acts, it's the church, 
This is God's movement in the world. The perspective of faith. God favors his people. The first perspective. Let's get back to the text because it's so fun to read. All of these warriors, all of this happened, this great battle. And uh, the small guys get defeated. Lot is one of them. And he's related to Abraham or Abram. So Abram gets mad. Verse 13. The one who encamped, who had encamped, came, who escaped, came and told Abram the Hebrew, who is living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, I love how the Bible is specific, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. It's not a person, that's a place. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them at the Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. First, we see the perspective of faith. Second, we're going to see, I want you to see the multifaceted nature. Multifaceted nature of faith. Abram hears... Lot's been taken, he jumps into action by faith, grabs his men, and he travels at great lengths up to 120 miles to the north, north of Galilee, if you know anything about the geography, to rescue Lot. It's kind of a brief account. Keter Lairman had defeated everyone in his path, then he defeated the smaller armies, then Abram comes, and it's just a quick blurb. His men go up, Abram's men go up, fight the world leaders, takes them down, dominant. Is it right for him to fight? Is it righteous to fight, to go to war? It can be. Later on, he'll receive a blessing for it, so we assume in this time it's right that he goes to war. Is it right to be at peace? You remember last chapter, Ryan read last week? He goes to the land, he's with Lot. To decide who's going to go where, and he says this. Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen and my kindred. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll take the right. And if you take the right, then I'll take the left. He defers. He's passive. Sometimes you go to war. Sometimes you're peace. In a minute, he's going to be offered the spoils from the victory he conquered, and he says, no thanks, I'm not going to keep those. Sometimes we keep the spoils, sometimes we give them back. Faith isn't one size fits all. I wish it was, I wish it was. I wish it was like, this is what you do, here's the situation, here's the plan, how you, this is how you do it. It's not how faith works. The preacher in Ecclesiastes will tell us, for everything there's a season. A time for every born under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather up stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time to war, a time for peace. That's confusing. <laughs> when do you do which and where and how? 
We want to know. Abraham responds by faith. Sometimes we overlook an offense. And sometimes we confront. Sometimes it's only prayer. We're not going to respond. I'm not going to be active. I'm just going to pray, actively pray. But I'm not going to take things in my own hands. I'm going to pray and see if the Lord does it, what the Lord does. And sometimes we, we use means. We make phone calls. We make meetings. Or here, Abram picks up the sword and goes after, right? When do we do which? How do we know? Abram's the father of faith. It's hard, isn't it? That's the question we all want to know, right? When, like, give me the answer. <laughs> the answer is we, it's faith. We trust. We surrender. We seek. We ask. We knock. We wrestle with the Lord. There's no one-size-fits-all answer. There will be times where we overlook offenses to us. There will be times when we confront. We all have these challenges. We have to trust and ask. The, the Word gives us the light, the lamp unto our feet. We know something of the nature of God as we know His Word, so that guides us. We become familiar with the ways of God that begins to give us instincts, what faith would do. We cry out, we have given the Spirit of God who comes and dwells in us, that leads us, that gives us insight, that gives us direction. And we trust upon the Spirit. That is the challenge of faith. And then sometimes we blow it, right? I mean, Sarah, if you remember a couple weeks ago when they went down to Egypt, when he basically gave up his wife to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh he's like, I wish you were this, <laughs> wish you were this warlike for me, babe, you know? <laughs> you go save your nephew Lot, then you give me up to Pharaoh, right? Sometimes we don't make the right decision. We don't, we don't make the right call. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of trusting by faith. It's a really hard work of Christianity is to trust by faith. It's the perspective of faith. There's multifaceted nature. We, don't, we have a variety of ways that faith can play out. The final section, I'll read this. After his return from the defeat of Keter Laerman and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Ashkol, and Amri take their share third thing we see we see the allegiance of faith the allegiance of faith Um, faith acknowledges to whom we belong there's this weird thing he comes back from war he comes back and he's met and the text has it simultaneous two kings come to him Uh, the king of salem which is a word for jerusalem which has to do with shalom or peace jerusalem is the city of peace 
And from the city of peace comes Melchizedek, which means the king of righteousness. So we've got the king of righteousness from the city of peace. What do you think that represents? This is God's blessing comes to Abram, comes to bless him, comes to to give God's hand upon him, and then he's meet with the king of Sodom, who we've already been told is wicked, who comes as a way of cursing. So it's an option. It's the way of the world. Melchizedek is this bizarre figure. Hebrews says he has no father or mother, no beginning nor end. He's a priest. He's a king. He somehow knows about the way of the Lord in the pagan world of this time. There is so much mystery here. But he comes out and he says, the God most high, the sovereign possessor of earth, and he blesses Abram. Then the wicked king of Sodom comes to him and he says to him, give me me my persons, but you keep the goods. If you remember the story, you probably don't. Sodom was plundered. Everything was taken. All the possessions, all the people. Abram goes all the way up north, rescues them, Lot included, comes back down. And now this king, who should be indebted to Abram, says, give me Give me my persons and I'll let you keep the stuff. He makes a demand. He makes a command. And when he says, you may keep the stuff, he's trying to make an alliance, an allegiance with Abram. And Abram knows this and he says, I have vowed to the Lord that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. Do you see that? It's a weird way. He should be indebted to Abram, but he's trying to indebt Abram to him so they can be in alliance, so they can be protected. So what you have here is you have Sodom and Salem. You have the way of the world and you have the way of God. You have the way of evil and you have the way of blessing. And the question is, will Abram find his hope in the blessings of God or in the ways of the world? In the gifts of Sodom or the bread and the wine of Salem? To whom does he belong? Does he belong to God? It's a question really of identity because what I told you at the beginning where there were four kings and five kings, the big players, they're all aligned, but now Abram's defeated all of them. And now he's a big deal. And now they're kings trying to partner with him and to align with him to benefit from him. He could go on his own military campaign. He's obviously got a good army. He could make a name for himself by himself. He could create a world for himself. Or he could recognize that the victory, that the blessings are from the Lord. That he is the possessor of heaven and earth, and he has given the blessings. He can receive them from the Lord, and if you receive the blessings from the Lord, what do you do? What do we do with our, with our money that God gives us? What do we do with our talent? What do we do? We give them back, right? That's what it says in verse 20. And Abram gave a tenth of everything to the priest king, to Melchizedek. I've acknowledged that it's not come from my own hands. 
I'm not going to align with Sodom in the way of the world. I'm not going to take the blessings of God and then partner with the world to make a name for myself, to, be, to create fame, to create prestige, to create money. I'm going to take it and say, oh, this is from the Lord. And I'm going to surrender it. And I'm going to give it. He's not going to align with the values of the world. See, we get blessed. Maybe your job is, is, is taken off. Maybe your career takes off and you, you get money. And you're like, man, I'm getting like a paycheck every month. And it's like, this is good. This is growing. We take it. But do we take it in the way of the world and we say, yeah, it's for me and me only? We become only consumers or all about us? We say, no, I've been given this to bless. We have opportunities in our work, in our skills, in our jobs. We've been blessed. Do we take them to hoard them for us? Or we do what Abram and the people of God were meant to do. And to do what? To bless others. It's just really bizarre. It's like a hard week to study this passage. Like, <laughs> I'm reading commentaries and like everybody didn't know what to do with it. It's just technical and complicated. Uh, it's fundamentally, who, who's, a lot, who's allegiance? Who are you going to align with? The world's doing their thing. We're going to live by faith in the tr- promises and the blessings of God. And as God gives and God blesses, we're going to give those and use those to bless others. He is the possessor of heaven and earth, the sovereign Our purpose in being blessed is to bless others, not to hoard. And Abram does that. We'll see this. That's what he does. How does he bless? He goes and rescues his family. He rescues Lot. He even rescues the the wicked world, right? He rescues, uh, he brings the plunder back to Sodom. He says, here's your stuff. Sodom's the wicked. It's the picture of the world. It's the, your lost neighbor. It's a blessing to him. Here. I'm not going to make an allegiance with you, but I want to bless you. The only, pe- only thing he keeps is for those that have helped him. He blesses the men. It says in verse 24, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Ash- Ashkol, and Mamre take their share. They deserve this share. Give it to them. I won't take it for myself. I surrender it. I know I've been blessed by God to bless other people. Blessed by God to bless other people. Abraham's test, faith is tested in his allegiance. And in this way, Abram uh, is serving as a foreshadowing of Christ, isn't he? He's a picture of Christ for us. Um, He refuses to be great in the world's eyes, and yet he does something so great. He goes to great lengths travels great miles with great sacrifice to rescue Lot. Who is Lot? Oh yeah, Lot was the guy living in Sodom <laughs> in sin who'd been carried away. But he was connected to Abram. He was partnered with Abram by union. He was connected and so Abram goes to great lengths to rescue him Great cost to sacrifice to pursue even a sinner like Lot. Sound familiar? Let me ask you, how far did Jesus go to rescue you? Where were you? 
what sin so ensnared you that he came and rescued you. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it was self-righteousness. Maybe it was your religious duties. Maybe you were like Sodom and you were in the, the pit, living however and whatever to do whatever you wanted, the ways of the world, like all the kings and all the nations pursuing money and power and sex and whatever you could get for you because it's all about you, it's all about you. Sound like our world, our culture? And yet in that place, Jesus came to rescue us. And he went to war. He went to war, but it wasn't the sword that Abram used, was it? It was a cross. He actually gave up his rights to all prestige, to all pl- power, to all the plunder, to all the goods, and he laid them down and surrendered and sacrificed for you and for me. To defeat the ultimate rulers and power of evil and darkness. And why did he do it? To bless us. You see how Abram shows us Jesus? He's meant to bless. To bless us. Jesus was plundered that we might be forgiven. And that's where we are too, as God's people. We've been blessed We follow in the faith of our father Abram. We live through the power of Jesus, the one who was plundered and broken for us, that we might too might give ourselves. We might go to great lengths, that we might sacrifice much, that others might be blessed. Do you see how it's such a far world from us, but yet it's the same story? We're really going to say the same thing the whole time we talk about Abram, basically every week. Because it's a story of God in the world for us as people. But it's not a small story. It's not on CNN or headline news. It's insignificant, a few 50 people, I don't know how many in Midtown. (laughs) No one's coming to interview us after the service. But it's the people of God. It's the story of God in history. This is what God is doing. It's incredible. It's incredible. Let's pray together. Father, I, uh, <laughs> it's a bit comical me trying to read these names. My Bible app and the British accent. Uh, but it's, it's, it's neat that it's real people in real places in history. And you care about real people in real places and real details and real specifics. And um, they're there um, really as the backdrop. You are the Lord. You are the sovereign. You are the king of heaven and earth, the possessor of all things. You give all blessing and all goodness. Every dollar we have in our bank account, every bit of health we have, every possession we have, every job that we possess, every blessing we have comes from you. May we give it back to you. It's our tithe with every day of our life. It belongs to you. May we not take your blessing and then align ourselves with Sodom. And serve the world. We will use our gifts. And use what you give us. May we use them for your glory. May it be so we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. May we rise as we sing this song together.